Welcome to Run Your Mouth. I'm your host, David Melly. This week's guest is two-time Olympian, many-time national champion, and 10K American record holder Molly Huddle. In addition to being a top-tier professional runner for Saucony, in recent years, Molly has also become a podcaster, writer, and leading advocate for women's sports, as well as becoming a mom earlier this year with the birth of her daughter. We had a fantastic conversation about the journey back to racing from childbirth, Molly's changing relationship with running and plans for her professional future, and her perspective on the relationship between track and field and social media. Molly is a wealth of wisdom when it comes to training, racing, and growing the sport, and I honestly just appreciated the chance to pick her brain. We covered everything from her training partner, Emily Sisson's American record performance in the marathon, to her tips for the upcoming New York race, to her feelings on racing for fast times versus chasing the win. Apologies in advance for some subpar audio quality during the episode. We had some equipment challenges on our end, but we didn't want to deprive the listeners of this awesome conversation. Enjoy the episode, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us and all the other Sidious Mag shows wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, this has been Run Your Mouth. Welcome to Run Your Mouth, Long Run Talk for Long Talking Runners. I'm your host, David Melly, and this week uh, we have a very special guest, a veritable expert on all things distance running uh, on every conceivable surface. Uh, Molly Huddle, welcome to the welcome to the show. Yes. Hi, David. How are you? <laughs> Good. And now you're you're like quite the expert on on podcasting and running media <laughs> as well. So you're just a jack of all trades. <laughs> Um, so, well, to start us off, uh, tell us a little about uh, this weekend's race and, and how it went and sort of uh, what your connection to that is. Yes. Uh, do you mean PVD Fallcomers 5K Cross Country t- Team Challenge? I wasn't going to get that right in the first try, so I'll let you say it. <laughs> Everyone's like, why is the name so long? And I was like, I just kept adding words. I don't know. Um, but yes, we had our little community event. This weekend, we have a 5K cross-country race in Rhode Island at Roger Williams Park, and it showcases how uh, Providence has some great, beautiful running locations, and um, we get a great mix of people, you know, new runners, serious runners, teams, running clubs, young kids, older runners, like, it's really fun. And so that was Saturday, and the weather was beautiful, and we had some extra volunteers, because I was like half a person this year because I had Jojo with me the whole time. So um, yeah, we were just happy that we were able to do it this year. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, Did you, have you ever been able to run your own race or are you in in full uh, meet director mode? Yeah, I'm usually too busy just trying to make sure everything is set up um, because it's always a little bit of a, it's always a little bit of a chaotic like (laughs) scramble to get everything like semi right. But um, and it's a small race too, you know, it's only like 70 people, I think was the most we've ever had, but, um, I've run the course before, mm-hmm. so I just haven't raced it. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, and, and obviously you're, you're sort of coming back to racing now. Well, well, we're sort of talking about it. You were, you were just at Mayor's cup last weekend and the, the big news in the Boston running scene, at least was that you'll be back for the BAA half in a couple of weeks what's the season look like for you and what's what's sort of the the status now and the plan moving forward 
Yeah, my plan was to race into shape because I just thought it would be actually less pressure to wait until I was really ready and then show up and not know where where I would be in relation to my old performances. And I just would rather just show where I'm at as I'm progressing. Um, and I love racing. So we just thought we would target as many like more or less local races as we could because it's just hard to travel with a baby. And so luckily we live in New England where you can find a race anywhere, any weekend, uh, any surface <laughs> in the fall is the best time to be running around here. So yeah, I just really, I talked to Ray and just begged to do like the soonest possible race, which I didn't really start doing continuous runs until about, um, not about two and a half months after I had Jojo. And so about a month after that, I think I was asking to do a race as a tempo run and it's been every week's been better. I'm still it's it's hard to judge. I'm still far away from where I was, but every week is so much better that it's like a I don't know, it's still motivating. <laughs> is there sort of a a target in mind or are you just listening to your body as you kind of navigate the the postpartum world? Definitely listening to my body. I kind of weirdly made this plan that maybe I could run um like I one of my five k one of the ten k's I rode ten k's I did was like around five thirty pace and so I was like okay if I could do that for the half in November maybe I could do that for a marathon by January um, I think Ray Ray was like that plan has a few holes in it so we might just do another half in January but that's what I was kind of hoping the progress would look like so yeah but we'll see I know like BAA half is my first like serious race that I hope I'm I'm mostly like back semi back to my former training load for. Um, and it's a difficult course, so we're not sure what to expect. But yeah, I'm hoping that's like kind of uh, like a trials qualifier either there or at Houston is what I'm hoping. Yeah, so uh, well, so for the listener, the, the BA half runs through Franklin Park. So uh, even calling it a road race is is a bit of a, a misnomer. Um, but yeah, you, so you mentioned January. Is Houston's definitely on the calendar and you're deciding on race dif- distances? Well, yeah, originally I had hoped maybe I could fit in a marathon, um, but I will see how the half goes. Ray was thinking he wants me to take a little more time with that and race a little a marathon a little later. So, um, but Houston half would be great to just try and run a fast half and just progress um, from where I'm at now. So yeah, that's on the schedule. Nice. Yeah. And I guess, you know, obviously for a lot of folks who just haven't experienced the feeling of, you know, coming back from childbirth back into training and and racing what has that just been like for you on a day-to-day basis yeah it's been um you can't really compare it to being injured which I like originally kind of was thinking okay I've been injured before and my timeline looked like a certain way but you don't it's different you don't really have all systems on board the way you do like when you're injured you have like you know maybe your leg and a few muscles in your leg are recovering but after having a baby, there's just a lot that's different. Like your hormone system is different. Um, you're not really like in a great muscle building, like hormone phase. <laughs> if you're breastfeeding, there's, you know, like trauma from having the baby. There's sleep. You're not recovering because of sleep. So it's just diff- It's just a whole global. Your bottled body globally is not really like able to like careen back into shape like I used to do. I used to just do like you know, the bare minimum time off and just like load, load, load every week. And it always kind of worked. Like I, I usually was able to come back pretty fast. And so this is just a little bit slower. You just, you have, 
your body's doing something else at the same time. So it's just different. <laughs> What's been the biggest sort of physical difference you've noticed in your training? I would say just not feeling strong. Like I definitely noticed like my power output is lower. And I think that's from the breastfeeding, just like the hormone changes and um, just like the energy you're expending doing it. So I'm looking forward to how I feel after that. Um, but I don't, I, yeah, I don't know when I'm going to stop. It's like a whole thing. <laughs> I'm like researching and then it's like hard. It's just hard to decide. <laughs> yeah. Have you talked to other, you know, obviously there's kind of a, a large and growing population of elite runners that kind of go through this journey. Um, have you talked to other sort of, you know, mom pros about what they've done? I have. Yeah. I've talked to a few women, um, about it and just asked like, when did you do it? And some, some were like, well, I was rushing back. So I had to do it this, you know, early and, uh, you know, some women were like, well, I got hurt. So that's why I stopped. Cause it was, you know, it does increase the risk of stress fractures after a while. It seems like if you're training really, really hard. Um, and so I'm trying to just mediate my training a little bit and, uh, feel it out and just decide, uh, what's best, but I do want, I do want to be done like somewhat soon to see how the racing goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's fair. Yeah. Have you sort of, you know, obviously one of the things we're kind of learning in recent years is just, um, you know, how much longevity um, runners can have if they have, you know, kind of all the right resources and, and place and um, are, are smart and methodical. Um, you know, you look at Edna Kiplagat running, you know, world-class times well into her forties. Um, have you sort of thought about what you want the next, you know, phase of your career to look like, or is it kind of a, a day by day thing? Yeah, I think, well, I'm lucky enough to be sponsored, like Sockney supporting me through 2024 and I really want to be at the marathon trials. So I know that's kind of my grand plan. Um, but I look at this as kind of like a fun time in my career because, it's uh, like, I feel like, I don't wanna say take risks, but you can kind of do what you want to do with races, maybe things on your bucket list you haven't done yet. Um, and yeah, I'm just looking at it as like, you know, whatever I enjoyed the most, that's what I'm gonna put my focus on in racing. And um, I know most of my PRs are behind me. I do think I can still PR in the marathon. So that's why we're gonna try and get one or two more in before uh, the next, well, I don't know if we'll fit two in before the trials, trials, but um, get at least one in. And yeah, still some motivation there to try and do something I haven't done before. Um, and beyond that, I don't know, you know, it's my body has taken a beating. I've run pretty hard. I raced a lot in my career. I wasn't someone who had a lot of time off. I was lucky in that way. Like I didn't have huge injuries until 2019. Um, so yeah, the body, I, I used my years. I don't feel like I left much in the, in the tank. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, so you, you mentioned the bucket list, uh, uh, you have raced a lot and you've raced, you know, probably a, a about as many different, you know, distances and surfaces as one can. So what's still on the bucket list? What's what's mm -hmm. kind of on your radar as, as something you want to knock out? I don't know. Yeah, I always thought World Cross was fun. I, it's uh, in Australia coming up, so that would be cool. That would be a huge trip for our family, but um, I won't rule it out. <laughs> um, and again, I want to do like a fast marathon. I feel like I'm not really as worried about, um, you know, like, going to the the best opportunity to win or medal like I just want to run PRs and so I'll be able to have a little more freedom with the courses I choose uh, for the marathon and um, 
yeah, I don't know, show up to the trials and just know that like anything could happen, <laughs> get myself as close to peak shape as I can. And it'd be amazing to make another Olympic team. Um, but we have, you know, really talented women. So just trying to progress as much as I can. I still feel like I have some things to learn about the marathon and just feel like I had a great race. That'd be another goal. Um, what else? I don't know if there's anything crazy. There's a lot of road races I've been meaning to do that I haven't done yet. Just like iconic races in each state in the in the country. <laughs> like everyone has their race. And so some of them are pretty cool to experience. Um, so yeah, just kind of doing what I want to do. <laughs> it's interesting. You talk about sort of being motivated more by like running fast times versus winning or, or placing high. I know people kind of have very different like perspectives on what kind of really fuels them. Is that something that has always been a motivator for you uh, to just run as fast as you can? Or is that something that kind of has changed over the course of your career? I think I've always kind of been into, you know, both. I think um, you have to be realistic. There's a lot of races I entered that I had no hope of winning, you know, like I was getting beat in diamond leagues by like 20 seconds when I was setting the American record back in 2010. And so that's just kind of how I structured my motivation in a realistic way to be like okay well i need something to get me excited and to shoot for and so sometimes it would fall in the time you know just focus on the time focus on doing something you've never done before um but then there are some races yeah where it is realistic to shoot for the win you know that's i you know realistically i was trying to win uh the boston marathon in 2018 when i ended up finishing like 20th or whatever um you know there were big we, we had big swings where i was like okay i want to try and win this um so it's been a it's been a mix of both just depends on your situation <laughs> and do you you know obviously one of the things i think is really interesting is it's kind of almost become a rarity for professional runners to have as long a kind of consistent coaching relationship as you have um what is sort of that relationship with Ray look like now versus, you know, when you were in college or when you were starting out as a pro and does that sort of factor into, you know, your own perspective and goal setting to kind of work with him as to, as to what you're kind of looking forward to. Yeah. I think I'm grateful that he's willing to still work with me, even though my goals are so different and my priorities are so different now. Cause I know he's very used to like high performance, you know, peak performance athletes. And so, but I do think, that relationship is really invaluable when someone knows you that well as an athlete. Um, I just think there's no way you can re I mean, at this point, I don't think there's a coach that could do it better. Um, he just knows what workouts work for me. It's just been so long that we've really figured everything out that we need for me. So um, I think that's pretty special if you can be with a coach long enough for them to like really just know what's best for you as an athlete and um, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, yeah, I feel like there's not a lot of athletes who are lucky enough to have that kind of longevity. And, um, so yeah, I think I, I trust him a lot. I, I hope he's, uh, like still <laughs> excited to work with me, even though it's like not quite as, uh, yeah, I don't know. It could still, there could still be some pretty cool moments going forward. It's just looking a little different right now. Yeah. It was one of the things when we were writing the, the Sidious recap of, um, Chicago in Emily's race was talking about how, you know, flat kind of in a way flying under the radar just because you're not a formal, you know, team with unified branding. But but really, when you look at it, like Ray has 
really cemented himself as like one of the best road racing coaches in you know U.S. history or well history because he's not American and Kim isn't American but um what do you think is kind of the secret sauce like what about his system seems to really produce these like really consistent long careers yeah the group was under the radar when I was coming out of college even and when I really sat down on paper and looked at so at that time it was Amy Rudolph myself Kim Smith um, Mary Cullen and Roisin McGettigan who are Irish athletes um Sarah Jamison was with us for a while, Australian athlete. And it was just, it was actually like the best female training group, like one of the best in the world on paper. Um, And it just doesn't, I think, yeah, because we're not all from the same country, it gets a little under the radar. So I was like, wow, this is, why wouldn't I want to train there? So I do think the women, he like the success he's had in the past gives us confidence, like we trust him. And um, I think he's learned a lot, you know, he coached his brother uh to an olympic medal and i think he learned a lot there about road racing and he um he works well with certain athletes like i'm definitely someone who responds well to that vo2 max type of training like those kind of intervals on the track and so um you know i'd say our training can be like pretty heavy on that stuff um decently high like moderately high amount of mileage um so that's what worked really well for me and that's kind of what his training is based around, but it's pretty simple and consistent and you just you're kind of in shape all year. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think it gives us a lot of opportunities. Like we don't have to peak, peak, peak for one race. We can show up to a few different races and, um, you know, that's kind of what racing at this level is about. You try and get as fit as you can and show up as often as you can and hope something works out for you. Do you have, you know, uh, if, if you had to go back in time and give, you know, freshman in college Molly advice about <laughs> where she's going to go, like, how would you, how would you impart the wisdom to her? I would tell her uh, advice I probably was getting, but I wasn't listening to, to it. Um, so I don't know if I would even listen to my future self, but uh, just to recover more, I feel like I wasn't, I feel like that was probably one of the biggest mistakes I made until I even came to Providence, I probably was making the mistake that long of just, I was running too hard on easy days. And um, it kind of just was a cycle. Like you'd have a race you were disappointed with and then you would hammer more the next day. And then your workout would be like only 80% of what it was supposed to be. And then you would hammer it the next day because you were upset about that. And so I think I would just tell myself to reset, focus on the going hard on the hard days. And you know that's where you see progress. Um, so yeah, I wasn't very, patient athlete. <laughs> Patience is definitely an acquired, I, I was going to say, I'm hearing shades of my college athlete self in, in that advice as well. Um, you know, obviously, you know, I'm sure you've gotten a million questions over the past couple of weeks about training with Emily and, and her build up and performance in Chicago. Um, there's a really great piece in runner's world that the listeners should to, should give a, a read about you kind of walking her through one of her days of training um, but the question I wanted to ask you was having that front row seat and, and seeing, you know, her go through the build, um, was there any moment during that process that jumped out to you as sort of a, a teammate and an observer about like, oh, she's ready to do something really special? I would say I actually didn't get to see as many workouts as I normally do just because I was on, I was still just coming back. So she, her workout schedule was opposite to mine, um, but we did a few easy runs together. I'd say she just, and we hung out a good amount because her dogs were in Providence. And so mm-hmm. our dogs play together, <laughs> um, play dates. 
she seemed calmer. I feel like she seemed um, like I mentioned this when I was speaking to her on our podcast and I was noticing it just seemed like they Ray and Emily both they weren't forcing anything like the workouts were coming the times were coming and there wasn't you know luckily there was some luck involved because there was and work involved in not getting injured you know there weren't any hiccups as far as that but um yeah everything just seemed like it was like the record was not on their mind like they were just like we're just doing a good build-up and everyone was very um yeah it was like a calmness about it which uh towards the end I was like ooh, this actually feels like a we're ready to do something calmness like the last couple <laughs> of weeks so yeah were you surprised or was it was it totally what you were expecting for her to run so fast um well I knew just it was a marathon and so so much had to go right so I it wasn't like oh she's definitely going to do xyz but that time I thought was within her capability for a couple years like just having done some threshold work with her and like <laughs> you could run 510 pace all day like I can tell <laughs> um, which I cannot so yeah not surprised about the level she got to in the marathon and and obviously you know with the we're, we're gonna try and uh turn this episode around pretty quick and get it out this week with, with New York coming up um as just a, as a fan of the sport um as what are you looking forward to to watching in New York this weekend Oh gosh, I love New York City Marathon. Um, I haven't really looked at the start list that in depth, so I need to kind of brush up, but just, yeah, definitely interested to see. I mean, I, I'm very interested to see how Kira does off her double. <laughs> She's had quite a stacked uh, season. So Kira D'Amato running New York, um, how, how that goes for her. Um, what other women are doing the race? I don't I have to even look. I just, oh. I love, I'm yeah, really what, interested to see how Helen O'Beary does in her Oh, debut. Helen's debuting there. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Everyone, yeah, definitely interested <laughs> to see how Helen debuts. She picked a hard one to do her first marathon at. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I saw your advice to Kyle as well for his first marathon. It's funny because picking, you know, a Boston or a New York for a debut uh, creates this dynamic where it's like, well, how fast can I run? And how fast can I run on this course kind of can yeah. turn into two different questions. Yes. Yeah. Like you definitely have time in the tank after like at whatever you run in New York. I mean, some people disagree with this, but I do. I think it's two to three minutes slow. Just the way that it, it's also the way that it runs like it starts on um, the Verrazano. And so nobody like rarely does someone want to get after it going up that big of a hill that soon. So your first <laughs> Your first mile is almost a throwaway minute. You almost throw away a minute because everyone's just feeling it out. Um, and then the rest of the course, there's some challenging hills and uh, potholes and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a it's an amazing course, but definitely I wouldn't say a PR course. <laughs> what do, What do you remember from your experience there as as sort of lessons learned or or advice to impart on anyone running New York this weekend? Um. I guess I would say uh, this, I found the second half harder just because um, like Brooklyn, I found to be like pretty, pretty flat, like maybe slight up incline, but you feel good the first 10 miles. And so this, the last like part of the course is where you're kind of having to dig and like losing time. Um, but 
I still managed to pass quite a few people that second half. So I think you just really have to like listen to yourself. Like it's hard. I don't know. Marathon is so hard. I always found it hard to like really race a marathon. Like it was more just like listening to my own cues. And if you pass people at the end, like great. <laughs> but it was almost like you really have to work with what you're feeling. And so I would say maybe, yeah, make sure you check in with yourself every 10K and just say like, how's this feeling? Can I speed up? Can I slow down? Um, and know what you have ahead of you you know there's a huge hill at mile 15 and then a few like rolling hills towards the end but the crowds are amazing you you'll be able to do things you didn't think you could do i'll say that (laughs) (laughs) yeah one of the things i kind of personally struggle from and this is maybe just me being selfishly fishing for (laughs) marathon events right now is like um the balance between like a marathon truly being both a kind of comp like you're competing and you're racing other people but you're also racing yourself and kind of finding that balance between you know kind of running your race in a way that will you know maximize outcomes but also you know not being so disengaged from everyone around you that you're not you know responding to moves mm-hmm. or, or you know trying to beat people how do you kind of approach that dichotomy in your racing Yeah, like I think I've only had one marathon where I've raced people where I would say I felt like I raced people um, of the five that I've done and have I done five yeah. Um, (laughs) It was the second time I did New York we actually had a pack coming off the bridge and um, I felt like I actually was hanging with them for through probably 21 miles 22 I think. Um, Before that I you know I was always kind of in no woman's land just I felt like the governor is always how you're feeling on the inside. And then you kind of race within, like until you hit that, you can race. But if you hit that, like you re- you're not gonna do, like you can ignore it if you want at mile 10, but it's not gonna end well. So <laughs> I've kind of just tried to operate in that. And it's tough with the women's fields. The women's fields can be thinner, um, especially if you don't have like the, like men and women starting together. And so you you find yourself kind of between packs a lot, or at least I did, and that was hard. Um, like in London, I ran a lot by myself. Um, and it's just, it doesn't feel like a race. It feels like a really long, hard workout, which is weird, which is, I don't enjoy that. I like racing. So yeah, it's, it is tough, but you can't, you can't just go with a pack that you can't hang with, um, in the marathon. I, I can get away with that in other distances, but the marathon is unique (laughs) like that. It's just like, yeah, no, you're not, it's going to humble you if you do that. (laughs) Yeah. When I think about it, it's funny, like some of the best kind of racing courses in my opinion end up being the weird distance ones right you know your Falmouth your Manchester's like um where if you take kind of this this perception of a specific time or a specific pace out of the equation that's when you are enabled to kind of really have like a true race race but but yeah once you're you're thinking the whole time about like your goal pace your goal time you know what your allocation of effort is going to be that that can kind of crowd out some of the other considerations along the way. Yeah, and definitely just purely racing is the most fun, I think, for anyone, for a lot of people anyway, I'll say for (laughs) me. (laughs) Um, But yeah, in the marathon, you do have to have in the back of your head that voice that's like, okay, it's 26 miles, like, like, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a, you know, I, I was trying to think like, you know, in terms of credentials, you, you've kind of spread it about as evenly as anyone could between, you know, cross and roads and the track. Do you have a favorite in terms of your, your favorite kind of race? 
Um, I think I'm the most comfortable on the track. Um, I, I want to love cross country, but it's like the one I'm the worst at. It's like such a struggle, but I like the idea of like, it is just about racing and it's the courses are always so pretty and fun. And, um, so I do like that about it, but, uh, probably track. I just, yeah, I don't know. There's something about like my focus is the highest when I'm like able to click it off in 400 meter loops. So it's fun. Are we, uh, you know, we're talking a lot about the marathon and, and goals for the future. Have we completely said goodbye to the track from that here on out or, or is there a possible return? I mean, I might do like a fun track race, but I don't think I'll be doing like the U S championships or anything again, <laughs> <laughs> but I'd never say never. I don't know. I thought that a few years ago too. And I ended up like in Europe, like running a 5k and I was like, how did I get over here? <laughs> Freeze frame. How did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, <laughs> Do you have any, uh, you know, uh, race day superstitions or, uh, idiot, you know, a lucky pair of socks or a pre-race song that you, you always stick with? I usually wear a necklace, a certain, I have a race necklace, um, made by Erica Sarah with a little, it's like a flower and the words spell out strong just cause I like to have mm -hmm. a mantra. And that was my mantra for a long time. Um, I've broken the chain a few times, so it's like, <laughs> doesn't look super great. Get I need to get a new one. Yeah. But it's, now I'm like, is it lucky? Like I can't get a new one. So that's, yeah, usually I wear that. And then I do my nails, just like a fun activity the night before. Those are my two things. Do you match the nails to the uniform? What's the, do they change race to race? They do. Yes. I like to do something different every race. Yeah. That's uh that's always good. Um, have you been uh, have you been following your your college team as they they've been putting together a pretty impressive campaign this season? Yeah, they're so good. Yeah, <laughs> the men and women both are good. So it's exciting to cheer for cheer for the Irish. <laughs> <laughs> do you uh, do you have like a fate like what was your best NCAA cross experience? My freshman year was my best one. I was. Um, I think I was fifth, fifth or sixth. I don't remember. I'd have to look it up, but I was top freshman and I just had no business being up there. I was running like 30 miles a week. And I just had, I just, I was completely naive. I was just like, all right, I'm just running against 200 women. I wonder where I'll end up. And like, I was like, <laughs> I had like time. I felt like I had um, left like energy in the tank. Like I had planned to go out with my teammate. And then the second, there was like the second half of the race, I felt totally fine. And I remember just being like, oh, okay, I'll win next year. And then like, yeah, no, it was like a very up and down <laughs> career after that. But for some reason, I felt great that whole season. Um, and our team did great. We were third after not making it. I think Notre Dame women hadn't even qualified for the meet for quite a few years before that. So it was just like the best day ever. How do you feel about the... Uh the sort of conversation around, you know, the equaling the distances and cross. I, I kind of don't really have an opinion. I, I'm interested in what people think. I'm a proponent of having the same distance, but I don't think like the women and men both have to run 10K. Like I think men could run shorter if they, I mean, I don't know. It's, I do want to keep in mind. So I think it's a strange message that it's different distances for both, but I also think they're NCAA athletes and they have, you know, energy and time constraints. And if certain programs are going to be trying really hard to win, I do worry about 10K, what 10K is going to do to the kids in that program. You know, like they're not recovering the way a professional athlete is. And so if they're being asked to run like mileage and do workouts 
for a 10k that might be a bit I don't know it might just risk like a lot of burnout and overtraining so what if they both ran 6k or what if they both ran 8k or what if they both ran whatever random distance like you know like what if they both ran like 5.1 miles or whatever I don't know like it's cross who cares what the distance is but I do think it why not make it the same distance that's a bit weird to me yeah it's also it's always been strange to me that the men change over the course of the season and the women run 6k throughout Mm -hmm. you know like and that is like you were saying is kind of a nature of you can only run so many like hard 10ks in a season which then raises the question of like why are we running any so yeah and like how much does that change like it favors different teams and different athletes when you're suddenly running a 10k on the men's side i would think like if you're running different distances i don't know it's it's for the men versus the women like there's it, it is so different to ask a, like a strong 1500 meter runner to run a 6k than a 10k, you know, yeah. like, and it does, uh, you know, it must shape sort of differences in recruiting strategies and, you know, who's doing what, when. Yeah. But I do think some of the arguments for keeping the women at 6k, I'm like a bit, I don't know, like there are coaches who say, well, there's not as much depth, so we need to pull our 800 women up. And it's like, well, maybe we need more depth in women's sports before like maybe that's the problem (laughs) not the 6k like (laughs) we need more women running at the NCAA level and having scholarships and um so that's it's being used as sort of a crutch in some ways I think (laughs) one of the things that I also like found really interesting is I remember you writing a couple years ago uh like a really interesting piece about how social media has kind of become intertwined with um professional professional running especially and how that's become you know it's funny like more and more I'll see runners getting on TikTok and it's like this is now a thing that you have to do (laughs) you know um uh, I I think it's interesting you know I, I think there's immense value in being able to have runners sharing their stories but but kind of matching the um the voice and the platform to the athlete is, is, uh, an interesting balance. Um, obviously now, um, you know, that you've kind of been a pro for long enough to see the sport evolve into this kind of new world. How do you feel like it's shaped like, uh, you know, potentially someone turning pro now versus turning pro in 2010? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a piece of the package now, but yet there's no, training really or you're sort of expected to have like manage yourself as a brand and come up with this content but there's no team helping you do it. it's just kind of like if you you're valuable if you can do it well if not i i don't know if you're penalized but maybe um maybe you kind of are so it is it's tough i mean it's powerful though like it's definitely got a lot of upside to extend careers. I think women are using it very well, female athletes. And so there's some power there, um, marketing power there that makes uh, female athletes like extra marketable, which is always a good thing. Um, but yeah, it would, it's, it's sort of the unknown. Like, it's sort of like, how do we use it? How do we, how do we do this? Well, how do we do this in a way that is what, I, yeah, I don't know. It's like the expectation is out there, but you're not given a lot of guidance. I, I was a little bit, I used to think of it as a distraction and like kind of annoying. Um, And then I just embraced it for, you know, hey, I can tell my story. I'll just be myself. My pictures aren't great quality, but like 
this is what's happening if anyone wants to know. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's been a good bridge to like the running community uh, for me and, and hopefully um, there's some good, like, I, I try to offer things. Like, I hope there's some good tips or advice or I don't know, like storytelling, whatever, whatever it is. One of the things we've seen, especially in the past couple of years is um, creating a way for, um, you know, athletes to talk more openly about the really like difficult pieces of the sport that I think are harder to tell in like a really like polished, like, you know, whatever two minute NBC segment or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and, and, you know, whether it's, you know, all laundry list of sort of issues that, that impact the mental, physical health, well-being advancement of, of running, um, it's, it's been good to see sort of people talk more honestly. And I think, you know, one of the things there's always the double-edged sword of social media, but it's been nice to hear sort of, you know, athletes that have had so much success talk about like also how they've struggled as well. And have that been accepted as like um, an overall part of the journey rather than just looking at the successes, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely is a double-edged sword because you have the ability to share that with people, but then there's also like so much that can get into your head, especially as an elite athlete, if you're seeing what other people are doing for training and, or if you're just like getting messages from trolls all the time, <laughs> we're getting just like nasty stuff sent to you. So it's yeah, a lot. That's actually something I've asked about some in the podcast before is like, what is your sort of um, like media self-care? Um, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're pretty active on, on like Twitter and stuff like that, but how do you kind of, how do you manage your balance of like, how do I not listen to the things that I maybe shouldn't listen to? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Um, like I would say around, a, I would advise anyone around a race to turn it off for I turn it off for like, I like delete the apps for like, not very long. It's like two days, but <laughs> it does help. Um, and then I put them back. Um, yeah. And as far as messages, I would say, I mean, I don't know if it's realistic to say, just don't read them because they're literally in the palm of your hand. Like that's a lot of willpower to just not open mm -hmm. some of them. Um, I don't know. It's hard. Like sometimes you do get nasty stuff and you're just, you can tell it's a troll and you just write it off. But sometimes it's really like a real person and you go to their profile and they're like sensible and you're like, oh, dang, that hurt. Like <laughs> they're not just a random fake robot telling me this. Yeah. It's funny. Like I struggle sometimes with the, you know, wanting to be able to sort of have that like self-confidence to like, be like, no, fuck you. Like, this is my, like, uh, I, this is what I believe, you know, and I'm sticking to it. And then also it's like, sometimes there are moments where you're like, Hey, maybe this person is re like you're saying is reasonable and is telling me something that I should listen to. And maybe I should evolve my thinking on, you know, whatever issues and, um, finding that balance is just as hard as any other piece of the kind of the social media puzzle for sure. Yes. Yeah. And just like some of the messaging, like it's hard. Like if you're someone who's speaking up for something, you do get a lot of that negative like opposition back in those messages and that can be exhausting i mean like uh, it, if you're any doing any kind of activism on there or any messages around that it, it comes with a lot of just like dealing with that which is part of it but it still weighs it's it's a weight it's a weight to deal yeah with. <laughs> for sure the, the emotional burden of like <laughs> you know, you know, particularly if, you know, you sort of are representing personally a, mm -hmm. you know, marginalized community that, that 
it, it is, you know, it is personal. Like it's like you're mm-hmm. speaking up on these issues, but they're also like it's it's your kind of uh, a target as well. And it, yeah, yeah, it becomes a lot. Yeah, the athletes um, doing that kind of heavy lifting. I'm like, I know, I'm sure it's there's a lot going on behind the scenes, and it just it can be hard to save the energy that you need to race. So yeah, definitely. Well, and that tough. sort of transitions to like one of the things that I found really interesting in terms of what you've done in the past couple of years is you've really kind of taken an active role in, you know, you're basically like a runner's world, like lead author at this point. <laughs> and then like the, your podcast as well, like what was sort of the impetus beyond that process to you of sort of writing and, and talking more beyond just kind of being the subject of the interview? I, well, I, I really enjoy writing. So I wanted to find a way to do that. But I also just, as far as like, I'm not a good interviewer, but I wanted to do some content creation because I just felt like the, like you go to these races and you're roommates with these athletes and you're like, wow, you're amazing. Like, why do I only see like, like, I love Allison Felix, but it's like, you only see like Allison Felix and Usain Bolt. And like you, I felt like the focus was only ever on a very small amount of track athletes and track is just this huge circus of amazing people. And and some of them are just so amazing beyond the sport too. So I was like, I'd love to like, just throw a little more attention on some of these other (laughs) women that I know personally, and some of the things they're going through. And um, maybe like the 300 people that listen, well, like one of them will be a journalist who'll write an actual story on them (laughs) and then it will like snowball. Uh, So that was kind of the thinking behind keeping track. Um, and that's still kind of what we're going for. And, but yeah, there's a lot of niche media outlets now started by female athletes. And so that's kind of how I think a lot of, a lot of women had the same idea. It was just like, we're not really getting enough coverage and there's so many amazing stories out there. How do we diversify that? And, you know, just cause you're not a 10 time gold medal, like sometimes one medal isn't enough to get attention. Like you need like 10 when you have such amazing athletes all around you. It's just, it's just as hard to compete. So, um, you know, well, and then it's mean... so gratifying to see, you know, folks that do have these, compel- you know, I, I always think about like Kara Winger's like retirement mm-hmm. tour this year and what the like immensely positive, you know, response to that was. It's like, yes. this totally could have been overlooked in, you know, it's a field event. It's, you know, somebody who, you know, hasn't been, hasn't, doesn't have 10 medals, like you were saying. And, but then still it's like, once you're invested, it's like so much fun to follow and watch and celebrate. Yes. And as an athlete, like, I felt like I was on so many teams with Kara and like, I would just honestly, like, I'd see her in the, uh, like training room, getting like her leg taped. Like she won, I forget what year it was. She literally just like KT taped her leg together and went and through. And it was like to see her have a smooth season where she didn't have to worry. I think she had had surgery finally. And I was like, oh my gosh, all the times I watched you just like have to manage an injury at the world championships or like it just wasn't going the way you wanted it to like to finally see you have this amazing season. Like, oh, it's special. Um, on the lighter side of social media, uh, what what is the best Halloween costume you've ever had? <laughs> um, I feel like I often don't do Halloween because we were like we're always away, like we're always in New York or at our conference meeting in college. But I had some good ideas. <laughs> I personally never. I feel like I never had a good one. I never had very good ones. Let me think. Let me think back. Even when I was little, I would do like dumb ones. Like one year, I was like. I was a vampire quite a few years in a row. I don't know. 
I'm I'm not I'm not great with the costumes, but I, I think love my, Halloween. <laughs> my parents had a little bit of the laziness of like I was a I was a Jedi and or Harry Potter. Like I would say two thirds of my childhood. <laughs> the repeat, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I love Halloween. Like I do love the idea of coming up with a fun costume. And as a given the fall atmosphere, and as a New Englander, um, what is your coffee order these days? What is your go-to? Um, I rotate like I uh, I like just a black coffee with a little extra oat milk. That's my okay. main order. Um, so it's not black, but I guess a coffee, <laughs> a regular drip coffee with a little extra oat milk. I like um, a cappuccino, or you know, in the fall I do a pumpkin spice latte, but I can't do that like every day. I like to do that. Oh yeah, like it's got to be a special. Yeah, uh, it's like when I'm like, oh, I just need something to make me happy right now. <laughs> are you a, a Duncan loyalist Starbucks? Do you have a preferred, or are you just all over the place? Do you have a favorite um, local shop that's yes. always been? <laughs> yeah, we have. Well, in Providence, we have really good local coffee shops. So probably my favorite drip coffee at the moment is at Dave's. Or well, I like New Harvest. New Harvest is like a roastery here in Providence. Um, but they're not every, they're not at as many places. So they're my favorite drip coffee. Dave's is my favorite, probably like overall coffee shop right now in Providence. And then Seven Stars after that. They have great lattes. Um, I don't turn my nose up at Dunkin'. Like I'll go there when I want like a really sweet coffee. It, it serves and, its role, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like uh, if I want a sweet, like I usually get a vanilla coffee at Dunkin'. Um, so yeah, I have a rotation. Well, this is full circle is that when when everyone comes to the 5k next year they'll have a long list of coffee shops to uh yeah. <laughs> patronize while they're oh, in town they're so worth <laughs> it yes and fundati here in lincoln that's a good one that's my closest one to me so yes you guys can try all of this but at the race we have free duncan because it's easy <laughs> that works too uh well we wrap up every episode by asking all of our guests the same three questions um the first one speaking of social media is uh your instagram crush um doesn't have to be a literal crush but just like what is something on the internet that's making you happy these days uh probably something that makes me laugh um hmm what are the funniest accounts i've been seeing so far there's one called there's one about dogs that is just like it's always a popular yeah it picks, yeah just to pick me up I think it's doxytocin <laughs> I saw a really cute uh Halloween costume that was uh rather than put anything on their dog they just put one of those a giant version of those beanie baby tags yeah <laughs> on their collar and they're like oh, I dress them up as a beanie baby <laughs> yes <laughs> it was really cute that was a good Rusty way to didn't... be Rusty didn't dress up this year. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> he doesn't like wearing clothes, so I just didn't force it. <laughs> that's what I figured. I was like, I feel like putting just the giant tag uh, versus wrestling your dog into like a sweater seems like definitely the better option. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, next is your go-to karaoke song. Someone hands you the mic. What are you saying? I am, I'm awful at karaoke and I... I'll never do it again. I'm just going to say that. I did once. I I tried to do, so I love Beyonce. I tried to sing Drunk in Love. It's actually a technical song that's very hard to sing, and it was awful. It was so awful. Uh, it traumatized me, and I probably won't ever do it again. <laughs> Beyonce is a good answer, though. Like, people like people are all on board with that. That would be a tough one. There's a lot of really I don't know why I picked that one. In that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and last but not least, your death row meal. 
you're going to the chair, you get to eat anything you want. What are you eating? Ooh, I'm probably going to eat um, an eggplant sub from On Yellows in Corning, New York, which is a really good pizza shop. And they have really good, I don't know, there's something, something about it that's just like the best flavor. Some upstate food. representation. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um uh that there that is a that is always a good uh option is just go out with pizza have the whole mm -hmm. thing all to yourself mm -hmm. you'll just die happy <laughs> um well thank you so much for for coming on uh and, and for a great conversation um this was uh i think really uh an eye-opening and thought-provoking um and hopefully uh the, the listeners will will feel the same way um but yeah thanks thanks again yeah, thanks, David. It was fun to talk to you. Maybe I'll see you in New York. Gonna be down uh, I'll be in Indy, but <laughs> oh, I'll be okay. cheering for New York and cool, cool. I'll be around after that. Um, and until next time, this has been Run Your Mouth.